BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about now. She's taking care of her voice, so you know that she's not going to shout now. So get your headphones ready to hear what it's all about. We'll have no fun, no fun, because your purpose podcast comes out today. We'll have no fun, 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 because your purpose podcast comes out today. No fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast. Episode 370. Is that some kind of milestone or what? No, not really. Okay. I didn't think it was. What is this podcast? I am Jen Kirkman. I am a comedian. I have done two specials on Netflix. I'm going to die alone and I feel fine and just keep living. But this is not that. This is not a well-thought-out comedy routine that I've traveled the country perfecting each and every last joke and inflection. No, 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 no. This is unrehearsed. This is where you get the unrehearsed me talking about things going on in the world, going on in my head, (laughs) and going on in my life. So, It's like a friend who talks and doesn't let you say anything. But I think of it nicer than that. I'm your guide. I'm there while you're washing the dishes. Maybe you can fall asleep to me because you know that it's just going to be this voice droning on and on. Or maybe you need a companion as you drive over a scary bridge. That's that's what I think about this podcast. So this is me, Jen Kirkman, comedian. This is where I come to be real. It's sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but it's always honest. So... Here we are. Thank you. Subscribe everywhere you get podcasts. If you're just sort of listening to this without subscribing, what the hell are you doing anyway? Um, I am part of the Misfit Toys Comedy Collective, podcast collective, I should say, started and run by the great Jimmy Pardo of Never Not Funny. So the other podcasts in the collective and more will be coming are the uh, Never Not Funny, Doug Loves Movies, Jonah Ray's Let Me Watch Your Movie With You, Mike Schmitz, The 40-Year-Old Boy, and The Todd Glass Show. There will be a link in the show notes to the Misfit Toys Collective. And I I implore you to check out the other podcasts. I've been on a lot of them, most of them, except for Mike's because he's also a solo podcaster, and Jonah's because he watches a movie that you made. And I didn't make a movie. But otherwise, I've been on all the other podcasts. So go and uh, search my episodes. And that's a good way into those uh, shows if you don't know about them otherwise. So I think this week's theme or topic is going to be love. Now, not necessarily healthy love, but love or what we think is love. Now, I know this story is a little old in terms of 
how fast the news media moves these days. I mean, I blink and you miss it. Am I right? <laughs> I can't. Oh. But I'm going to be talking about there was a there was a big article. Oh my god, I am I am my mother. That's what Jennifer. I read a big article. There is a big article in Elle magazine. Again, it came out at the beginning of December called The Journalist and the Pharma Bro about a journalist named Christy Smith who basically upended her life to fall in love with prisoner Martin Shkreli, the asshole who is jacking up pharmaceutical costs. So, you know, you never know who you're going to fall for. But I wanted to, somebody asked me to take a deep dive into that story, so I will, and I will maybe analyze her. I'm going to talk about how you guys have responded so positively to my dating app story from a couple weeks ago where I said, I wrote someone back on a dating app after reading my own profile, thinking it was something someone else wrote and basically falling in love with what was myself. And where I'm going to talk about where I've been on those apps since then, hint, nowhere, <laughs> and why and what's going on with me in that area, in an area that I don't like talking about, but that I think I may have come to a new understanding of. And also, I will talk about things that I'm reading about that I find very fascinating that for some reason I didn't ever quite understand before, but the attachment style that you might have in a love or even friendship relationship that is all it's all of it is completely unconscious subconscious and we'll read listener emails i have some leftover listener emails about all kinds of topics from the last couple of weeks i love that you guys have been emailing me so much continue to do so you are a big part of the show i think people i think people like to know they're not the only one listening to this you know if i read a listener email they're like unless jen made that up which don't come on. But unless Jen made that up, it sounds like someone else listens to this show. So I, and I like hearing you got you guys' point of view. So I seem fun at gmail.com. If you want to send an email about anything that I've talked about on the show, even it's, even if it's from a while ago. So what's going on with me? Well, Not much. (laughs) But uh, I'm in a bit of a self-quarantine, as they say, because I went to the dentist. I went to the dentist. I went to the mountain. I looked in the thing. I didn't wear a mask. They opened up my mouth and tried to fix a tooth. Closer I am to COVID. I went to the dentist. Now, I had an appointment in early December because I had chipped a tooth. And by tooth, I mean a porcelain veneer, which is basically my tooth. Because if anyone knows, if you've had a porcelain veneer, they shave your real tooth down to basically a nub. And the veneer is, I feel like veneer gives the, gives the sense that it is a, like kind of like a plated something that you put all over an already existing tooth. No, no. It is like an all new tooth made of porcelain. So it chipped. 
it, you couldn't see it. It wasn't a vanity thing, but I could feel it, but it was fine. I got used to it. But my dentist said, and we've gone over this in past episodes. I'm just recapping you. But my dentist said, you know, when your old shit tooth is <laughs> exposed like that, it could get an infection. And also if the rest of it falls off and you're worried about COVID and COVID's going to get worse, like just come in now and get, get it over with. And you know, they, again, when I went for that initial appointment, I was the only, I was going to say passenger. It's the only passenger there. I go to a dentist that's on a plane. I know that's really weird, but he's also um, a pilot. (laughs) And you know, it's t- it's tough. A lot of pilots have been furloughed. You got to make ends meet. He took another job as a dentist. So, but don't worry, there's a co-pilot. So when the co-pilot's flying, um, I'm on a, like another side of the cockpit and he's just quickly doing my uh, veneer. So I'm the only patient in there. And they had the HEPA filter going in the uh, lobby. I came in wearing three masks. I wear an N95. Over that, I wear a blue medical mask. And over that, I wear a cloth mask. And in the cloth mask, there's a pocket where I can put another filter. So I'm really quadruple filtered up. I can't breathe. And I'm giving myself carbon (laughs) dioxide poisoning. But it's worth it. And I can't bring myself yet to wear goggles. I have two pairs. And I can't bring myself yet to wear a shield. Now, I can wear a shield if I go to CVS. No problem. There's something about going to the dentist's office where they told me I'm the only patient. They have the HEPA filters and they're all wearing masks. I feel like, I don't know. I don't even care that I get made fun of. I mean, I'm a clown for a living. But I just... It seems weird, so I don't. But I, I want to wear goggles. I was reading an article recently from, I don't, got, could I have any reading? It's, I do have reading comprehension. I don't have retention. Except for water retention. Am I right, ladies? Ooh-oh! So it was a, uh, you know, one of these science people. And he was saying, look, I hate to say it, but we're at the goggle point. Wear goggles when you're out in public with your mask or shield, but cover those eyes. So I I couldn't bring myself yet to wear the goggles. So I wore my glasses, which I know is not the same because things can come in on the sides. I know, but it felt okay. So, okay. So that was the first appointment. I'm in the lobby. They take me straight into the room. There's no one else in the building. It's just me, hygienist, dentist, the receptionist. Hygienist has two masks on and she's got a shield, proper, proper protection. And the dentist has two masks on and his seeing glasses. He doesn't have goggles on her shield, but they are, you know, drilling in my mouth, bits and pieces, spittle flying. I have to assume that they don't want to get COVID either. And since they don't test you at the door, they are taking a chance. Now, of course, they take your temperature, which is not a thing. It is such theater. It is not no one who is asymptomatic in the first five days is going to have a fever. And that's when you can be contagious. However, you might be exhibiting signs of low oxygen in the blood. They should really be shoving your finger in an oximeter. Oximeter or oximeter? Caribbean or Caribbean? Sorry about that sound, (laughs) producer. (laughs) Sometimes he's like, it sounds like you're in a cavern. What happened to your studio? I'm like, I don't want to sit in there anymore. But let me just drop 
um, a ch- let me just drop a coaster because I'm having some tequila. And let me let me put an ice sound into the mic. Is that is that good for you? So I go back to the second appointment because as you know, if you've ever gotten a crown, they're always temporary first. Temp crown goes well. I leave the dentist office. I get a COVID Ted sick Ted. I get a COVID Ted. That's a boyfriend that you get during COVID. You can rent them. You know, those like those smart cars. You can get a COVID Ted. You pull up and they are just standing at a meter and they've been tested. They don't have COVID and you just bring them back to your apartment and whatever you want to do. I mean, it's not like a prostitute, like mainly they just let you snuggle them and they make you spaghetti and they agree with everything you say about every TV show you watch. Um, Yeah. So COVID Ted, get yourself one, ladies, men, whatever. I got a COVID test. And I was negative and I waited the six days to make sure I gave it time to incubate. If I did have it, you know, I wasn't going to get a test the next day and go, I'm definitely negative. So any hoozy doozy, um, I'm going to have to stop making that noise. So anyway, I had the return test a few days after Christmas, not test. God damn it. I had the return test. I had the return tooth appointment. I know you're thinking, Jen, well, maybe you don't drink tequila. This isn't even drunk. This is, okay, my glass is full of ice. And I used like one, it's like one ounce of tequila. And then I put in mostly lime juice and then agave. And uh, stirred it around and let some of the ice melt. Like it was just to like take the edge off a little because I'm very stressed today. I had a lot of work to do outside of the podcast. And I honestly think that has zapped my brain. So I go to the dentist this time and now it's been two weeks. And in that time, Los Angeles has exploded with COVID cases. We went from way too many a day, but we went from an already insane amount, like 5,000 a day to a more insane amount, like 15,000 positive cases a day. It was being said that one in 80 people in Los Angeles has COVID and may or may not know it. Um, We have had thousands of people die from it and the ICUs are full. They're putting people in the gift shop. We know this. I say it every week. So I'm going to the dentist during that Now, the dentist office, by law, was closed in March of 2020, and things weren't even that bad here. So I'm going during, I shouldn't go, is my point. But I just figured, if this temporary crown falls off, and I know COVID's going to get worse and worse here, it's probably not going to clear up for a couple months. I better just go get this done. And and look, it's going to be the same appointment as last time. I'm the only one in there. It's 9 a.m., Everyone's masked up, suited up. And for some reason, when I went in this time, I might as well have been going to a rave. Okay, I'm exaggerating. But I went in with my three masks. I walk in and the hygienist meets me and she's like, how was your Christmas? Now, I guess that's a normal question. You know, I'm allowed to have a Christmas even though I live alone. I live a lonely, loveless life without a family. (laughs) Oh my God. As she goes, I wonder if I have COVID. So, um... 
I said it was good. I spent it alone, which was good because we've got to protect others and stay healthy. But I did Zooms with my family. And she went, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, no, it was great. So now that tells me that she did not spend it alone. Now, maybe she lives with someone. Maybe she has a husband. Maybe she has because I don't know. I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to start panicking. And she goes, well, are you going to do something on New Year's then? And I went, nope you know, COVID and all. And she said, I know COVID is making me so lazy. Like I don't even want to do anything like, because, you know, um, nobody's going out. I'm like, yeah, cause it's a pandemic and we're going to kill each other if we go out. And this isn't a 20 year old party girl. This is a like probably 58 year old woman. And by the way, everyone keeps writing to me, it's not the hygienist, it's the dental assistant. No, that bitch, I've been going this, this is the hygienist. There isn't a dental assistant. I'm telling you, I know her. She does hygienist jobs. So anyway, so she doesn't have a mask properly on. She's got just one mask, those blue flimsy ones, those medical ones that anyone can get nowadays. And it's like right, just right at the tip of her nose. It's very loose. No shield like last time. And she's just like willy-nilly handing me the mirror. Then I'm like, I don't know if you sanitize that. And I'm like, it's okay. I don't need to see it. I'm sure it looks great. I mean, I'm sure it looks great. I don't care, you know? And uh, and the dentist comes in and he's he's in one mask only. And I'm just like, what is happening? Why are you getting less cautious when it's worse out there? And then she coughed in my mouth. Oh, yeah. You can rewind it if you want. She coughed in my mouth. She was... Uh, holding. So he said, you have to hold Jen's. So she put on, you know, they did all the stuff. She's holding the new veneer with all the cement on it, holding it tightly in place for three minutes. Now, normally this is where the small talk would come in. And when you're like, "Ah, I can't answer. She wasn't small talking. Thank God. She must've realized we don't talk when someone's mouth is open during a pandemic, but she then went, (coughs) Oh, excuse me. I'm like, thanks for turning away. Thanks for coughing. Thanks for shopping. And she said, don't worry, I'm not sick. It's just in the mornings it gets like this. And look, I believe her. It's probably acid reflux. I could go on and on. I have the same thing. But I'm just like, you might as well have been like, I'm not sick, but I don't know what it is lately. I've been coughing and I have a high fever. (laughs) You know, I was just like, oh, I am fucked. This was the moment. This was the moment. That's the musical about my life getting COVID. The moment I got COVID, that was the moment. So then the dentist comes in and he makes a joke. So what are you doing today? Flying off to Paris? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm just having a small, intimate party of 100 people in Paris right when I get off the plane. And he said, ah, ha, ha, ha. Everyone laughed. And he said, no, no, but I hope. He goes, but it is a beautiful day outside. He goes, oh, so then I said, so I thought to myself, I love this dentist. He gets it. He gets it. We're not supposed to be doing shit. So then, then I says, I says to him, now I haven't had a permanent veneer put on in uh, over 10 years and I forget, am I supposed to do something special today? Like, do I treat it gently for a day or something? And he said, nope, you can go live your life right now. And he said, you can go out to breakfast. And he kind of points across the street to this mall, this kind of like outdoor mall. The stores are inside, but like, you know, the whole structure is uh, like a walk around outside mall. And he goes, you could go to the mall and have breakfast and walk around. I'm like, what? Someone's dying every 10 minutes. No, I'm not. I go, oh no, I'm, I'm going right home. I'm like, what is happening? 
So, you know, I, I just don't think anyone is taking it seriously. I think that people, you know, everyone says to me, they're just afraid of you having it as they are. I go, I don't think so. I really don't. I think most people don't think it's a big deal or they've already had it or something, or I don't, I don't know, but uh, I'm about to get my test in a couple days. So we'll see. I'm going to give it a whole week this time. I have no symptoms. I'm sure it's fine, but ugh. So that's the only thing I'm up to is that I've been doing this thing for the past week where I haven't left my place at all, not even to um, take a walk outside. Because I swear to God, because I want to be a hondo Torundo shore. If I have it, that I can say, I went to the dentist and they didn't do anything else for days. I don't need to be this strict, but I'm also just kind of like, if I, I don't mean to sound like a dick for people that live in cold weather, but there's a hike near my place. It's 45 minutes. I either do 45 minutes or I double it and do 90. I've been doing it every day since the trails came back open in uh, late spring. I'm, if I do it one more time, I'm going to scream. I'm just, I get sick of it. Um, so sometimes I just need a week off. So there you go. All right. Now I could walk around my neighborhood, but clearly I need a week off from doing anything. Okay, so that's what's going on. But now let's talk about other people's lives that are way more exciting. And sometimes to have a more exciting life, you have to have a more dramatic, traumatic life. So I am grateful to be bored because I used to be impulsive like this woman. And I am so glad that I rewired myself. So here's the deal. This article was in Elle magazine. <clears throat> I swear to God, every time I talk about COVID, my body starts coughing. Now, Martin Shkreli, in case people don't know, I mean, I feel like there's been so many shitty rich guy people that have fucked us all over in some way or another that it's like hard to uh, keep up. But he's 37 years old. He was always known as pharma boy, like as in farm pharmaceuticals by some media. He's a former hedge fund manager and now a convicted felon. But what his thing was, um, he was a former CEO of a pharmaceutical company and what he was known for is hiking the price of some medications uh, called Retrofin and Daraprim. And I forget what those medications do, but I think that they will remind us of it in the article that I'm reading. It was basically kind of like a Ponzi scheme. He's kind of like the um, Bernie, uh, what's his name? Oh my God, not Bernie Sanders, Bernie, the guy in prison for... Um, doing a Ponzi scheme and, and like a lot of people invested with him and they lost their money. I know you're screaming. I'm Bernie Ponzi scheme. Bernie Madoff. I think he's like the Bernie Madoff of like the pharma industry. Okay, so here it is. Oh, this is what he did. Back in 2015, the pharma CEO endeavored to raise the price of Daraprim, a drug that among other things treats people with HIV AIDS from $13.50, which is already expensive, to a whopping $750 a tablet. I mean, that's insane. You're just like an evil person at that point. 
He then spent the next two years embracing the role of cartoon villain, dropping $2 million for the only existing copy of a Wu-Tang Clan album and hobnobbing with a who's who of internet trolls. Um, he was booted off Twitter last year for harassing teen Vogue writer Lauren Duca. His face had earned its rightful place among the top Google searches for the term worst people. Now he is in prison and facing up to 20 years. And what he did was he, uh, he's been basically accused of a Ponzi scheme that involved misleading investors at financial firms and using his money from his pharmaceutical firm to pay investors. His, his pharmaceutical firm was called Retrofin. Sorry, that wasn't the name of the drug. To pay off investors and cover his debts. So he's been found guilty of two counts of securities fraud and one count of conspiracy. It's so weird because I don't understand how anything works. I don't get how you, you know, how you how you just get to go, oh, now it's this much money. Doesn't have to go through a board or some kind of governance at the company. I mean, I'm interested, but not so much so that I'm going to hit pause and look it up because there is no pause. Listen, this is about a love story. <laughs> this isn't about the ins and outs of the pharmaceutical industry. Come on. This isn't no no pharma, the podcast. That joke was a stinker. I apologize. You can unsubscribe if you want. Okay, so this is the article in L.com, E-L-L-E, a fashion magazine for women with some hard-hitting news at times. Written by Stephanie Clifford. Almost every weekday for six years, Christy Smith took the F train from Park Slope downtown. That, by the way, got to interrupt. I can't even. That's my old train in my old neighborhood. Shout out to the F. Prospect and 18th Street was my stop. Then it goes to 7th. Then it goes to Smith and 9th or 4th. And then it goes to Bergen. And then it goes somewhere. Then it goes underground. Then it goes near the Trade Center. Then it goes up the line from 14th Street, 21st, 23rd. Okay, sorry. I am going to try to read this to you and just have you just relax. Just go lay down, put some kind of facial mask on and just listen. And then we'll talk. You know, I'm going to be able to not be able to not interrupt myself. Almost every weekday for six years, Christy Smith took the F train from Park Slope downtown to her desk at Brooklyn's federal court in a press room hidden on the far side of a snack bar. Smith, who covered white-collar crime for Bloomberg News, wore mostly black and gray and usually skipped makeup. Wouldn't it be nice that we get to this point in society someday, sorry, I'm interrupting, where we don't have to comment. Like, I get we're sitting the picture that she's a serious woman. I I guess that's why we're talking about that she didn't wear makeup. But I'd love to get to a point where either the men are wearing makeup too and we comment on whether they're wearing it or not, or we just don't comment on it. Like, I don't need any of these details. I don't mind them saying the color she wore. That's fine. All right. Christy Smith and her husband worked in who Christy Smith and her husband, she and her husband 
He who worked in finance, they spent their free time cooking, walking Smith's rescue dog, and going on literary pub crawls. Quote, we had the perfect little Brooklyn life, Smith says. Then she chucked it all. Over the course of nine months, beginning in July 2018, Smith quit her job, moved out of the apartment, and divorced her husband. What could cause the sensible Smith to turn her life upside down? See, I get that now. That's what the makeup comment was about. She's sensible. You can be sensible and wear makeup. I'm sorry. I just, I'm going to focus on this. What could cause the sensible Smith to turn her life upside down? She fell in love with a defendant whose case she covered. In fact, she broke the news of his arrest. It was a scoop that ignited the internet because her love interest, now life partner, is not just any defendant, but Martin, but Martin Shkreli, the so-called pharma bro and online provocateur who increased the price of a life-saving drug by 5,000% overnight and made headlines for buying a one-off Wu-Tang Clan album for a reported $2 million. Shkreli, who was convicted of fraud in 2017, is now serving seven years in prison. I fell down the rabbit hole, Smith tells me, sitting in her bright basement apartment in Harlem, speaking publicly about her romance with Shkreli for the first time. The relationship has made her completely rethink her earlier work covering the courts. And as she looks back on all of the little decisions she made that caused this giant break in her life, she says she has no regrets. I'm happy here. I feel like I have a purpose. More than four years earlier, in January 2016, Smith stood outside the Bryant Park skyscraper where Martin Shkreli's company, Turing Pharmaceuticals, had its offices, clutching a camera, about to meet the man for the first time. She was so anxious that she hadn't eaten all morning. One month prior, Shkreli had been charged with defrauding investors at hedge funds he'd run earlier in his career, and he made a habit of regularly taunting journalists like her. How do I manage the situation, she remembers wondering. Growing up outside Kansas City, Missouri, Smith said, I was terrified of the sound of my voice. In high school, however, her passion for reporting helped her finally overcome her shyness. Smith had a stubborn streak, railing in her Catholic girls' school newspaper about fines for wearing uniforms improperly. When her parents asked her to take her brothers to church... She would defiantly take us to McDonald's instead, her brother Michael Smith says. Smith attended the journalism school at the University of Missouri and worked for two small newspapers before moving to New York in 2008. After working for a legal news company, she started covering Brooklyn Federal Court for Bloomberg News in 2012. It was a high-pressure job. Bloomberg tracked how many seconds its reporters filed stories ahead of their competitors, but she was well-regarded at the company and churned out reliable stories over the years. Her personal life was going well, too. In 2014, she married her boyfriend of five years, who worked in investment management. By early 2015, Smith learned from a source that Shkreli was under federal investigation for securities law violations. At that point, Smith had no idea who he was. Few people did. 
But she did some research and learned he was a brash, self-taught young executive who'd started hedge funds in his 20s, then moved on to found pharmaceutical companies Retrofin and Turing. When Smith phoned Martin Shkreli, she was expecting a standard no comment. Instead, he argued, she had no idea what I was talking about. Confident in her sourcing, she published the story anyway, breaking the news of the investigation. But because Martin Shkreli wasn't well-known yet, it didn't make much of a ripple. That fall, though, Shkreli turned himself into a self-styled villain overnight when he raised the price of a drug called Daraprim, which is used to treat a type of parasitic infection that can be life-threatening by 5,000%. Outrage followed with headlines like Martin Shkreli, a new icon of modern greed, and Martin Shkreli is Big Pharma's biggest a-hole. Then, presidential candidate Hillary Clinton said the price gouging was outrageous. Her opponent, Donald Trump, said Martin Shkreli looked like a spoiled brat. Hey, they fucking agreed on something. Shkreli responded with live streams and Twitter fights. Quote, in D.C., if any politicians want to start, come at me, he tweeted. So when Christy Smith learned the federal investigation of Martin Shkreli had moved forward and he was about to be arrested, she said, I had the sense that there would be massive schadenfreude, or schadenfreude, however you want me to say it. The charges alleged that Martin Shkreli had made bad bets in his hedge funds and tried to cover up the losses by lying to investors about how the funds and the investors' money were performing. He was also accused of plundering his pharmaceutical firm Retrofin to pay back the hedge fund investors. In in December 2015, Smith broke the story of Shkreli's arrest and, quote, the internet lit up, she said. In a packed courtroom for Martin Shkreli's arrangement, Smith watched as Martin, dressed in a gray hoodie, pleaded not guilty. No word on if he had no makeup on. He was allowed to go home and continued working at Turing Pharmaceutical after posting a $5 million bond. The next month, Martin called Christy Smith. I was sitting next to her. This is the writer of the article, just in case you're like, Jen, you were sitting next to her? No, guys. I was sitting next to her in the Brooklyn press room where I covered courts and the Martin Shkreli case for the New York Times when she took the call. I overheard her startled conversation with him in which he told her, I should have listened to you, referring to the first time they spoke about the investigation back when he said that Christy didn't know what she was talking about. During the call, Christy managed to wrangle an in-person meeting with Martin four days later. She was hoping to profile him and brought along her camera just in case. Now keep in mind, Christy is not into this guy yet. She's happily married. She's got the dog. She's got the Brooklyn investment banker boyfriend. They go to literary pub crawls. Literally? No, literary. Like as in, you know, they probably go, oh, uh, Oscar Wilde drank here once or something. I think they mean literally. No, they don't mean literally. So when Martin Shkreli walked in for the one o'clock meeting with Christy Smith, this time wearing a black hoodie, his hair greasy, He immediately, quote, started giving me a spiel, Christy said. 
He wanted to talk off the record and proceeded to show Christie spreadsheet after spreadsheet with investors' holdings in his funds. He argued that they were all ultimately paid back. You could see his earnestness, Smith says. It just didn't match this idea of a fraudster. Okay, we're pinpointing the moment where she's falling for him. This is just like a Hallmark movie, so they've met before. And he was like, Ugh, I don't like you big city reporters. And now this time she's seeing something vulnerable in him as they make a gingerbread house. Proverbially. <coughs> After that, quote, he kept toying with me for a while, Smith says. He would dangle an on-the-record interview and then grant one to one of her competitors. Some serious nagging, like in that book, The Game. Anyway, Christy Smith had to remain cordial. Martin kept making news. He bought the Wu-Tang album. He smirked when testifying before Congress about drug pricing. And coverage of him at Bloomberg fell to Christy Smith. One evening, when Christy called Martin for comment, a tiny shift occurred. Martin was looking for a new lawyer and asked for her advice. She felt flattered, she says, and offered her opinion. It really felt like he didn't have anybody to talk to that he could bounce ideas off of, Smith says. I was like, all right, I guess I can do that. He sounded ragged and fragile, and I got concerned he would commit suicide because all this stuff was all happening at once. Still, her job came first. She wrote a pre-obituary for Martin Shkreli in case he did, in fact, kill himself. Now, you can see the signs of it right there. It felt like he didn't have anybody to talk to that he could bounce ideas off. This is what this woman is saying. Now, if you meet a guy in his 30s and he seems like he has no one else to talk to, that's a bad sign. This guy doesn't know how to make intimate connections. You do not want to be this guy's entire world. It is not an honor or flattering that he is choosing you. It is random. And you know what? Even if it is true love and he's choosing you to talk to because he's fallen for you, He's only going to be limited and stunted ultimately because he has no practice doing that to anyone else. And if you have any kind of savior complex, then that's what is attracting you to him. Not, nothing, anything that's happening so far between these two is everybody's old pathology that they haven't worked on that is sparking together. I mean, this is the thing. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the term trauma bonding, but it doesn't mean that you meet someone and then you guys both talk about your trauma. It's that if you're fucked up and we all come from fucked up places. So if, if, if it's deep in your wiring that you're attracted to chaos or drama, you will find other people who have that in their wiring. And when you meet them, you'll feel like you've always known them and then there'll be a big spark. Now, sometimes that can work out if you guys are willing to work on it. There's a great book about this called Getting the Love You Want by two therapists who actually had that kind of relationship and then learned a language. But most often what happens is one person is unwilling to work on it. And so you're chasing, chasing, chasing. You're getting crazier and crazier. They're withdrawing more and more. And so, you know, it's a tough thing being human because we come with all of this pre-programmed biology from how we were raised that's really not anything we can do anything about because it's all unconscious. And we don't know if it's ever going to be awakened in us one day. I mean, look, she was totally normal, so to speak. I'm sure she had girlfriends 
you know, that were messes. And I was like, this guy won't call me back. And I'm on Tinder and she's probably sitting at home with her husband going, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not single. Like, why can't these girls just get it together? They like the worst guys. And meanwhile, there's something in her that hasn't been dazzled, that hasn't uh, touched her, her, I don't know what, like, I don't know if it's something that was always inside of her or if she just had me, I mean, maybe it's a psychological disorder. She had some kind of mental break. Anyway, we'll keep reading. So she gives him advice about the lawyer, but still she's got a job to do. And she writes the, uh, pre-writes the obituary in case he kills himself because she's getting this feeling that he's kind of desperate. So Christy Smith is still angling for a profile. She wants to write a profile about Martin Shkreli and she wants him to uh, give her permission and she wants to be the one to write it. So she asked Martin Shkreli to meet her in person again in the spring, he chose a wine bar near his Murray Hill apartment. Oh, God, do I miss wine bars in Brooklyn? Oh, I don't think Murray Hill's on Brooklyn. Sorry. <coughs> Is it? I just lost my mind. No, it's not. I just love wine bars. Oh, my God. I've been inside a wine bar in almost a year. When they arrived, he greeted the waiter in Albanian. His parents are Albanian and ordered a Cabernet. My favorite. She, unable to focus on the menu, did the same. After he said he'd consider letting her write a feature on him, they started talking about his childhood. The Brooklyn-born son of immigrants who worked as janitors, he'd skipped grades and dealt with serious anxiety as a child. Smith had anxiety too, and they connected over how they'd both succeeded in competitive New York fields as outsiders without Ivy League educations. When he said he could probably get the wine for free, given his Albanian connection, She, conscious that journalists shouldn't take freebies, declined. Through the summer, Martin Shkreli kept up his game of cat and mouse, offering Christy Smith tantalizing hints about evidence, then ghosting her for weeks over some perceived offense. See, this already, like, you can't fall in love with this guy. You've got to make a conscious choice not to, even if you feel that you have these emergency feelings and you have to act on it. And oh my God, it's like, yeah, you've got to cope with that anxiety and walk away. I mean, maybe not as a journalist, but as someone falling in love with them. In fall 2016, Smith started the prestigious night Bagot Journalism Fellowship at Columbia University. That can't be too prestigious if a dumb comedian hasn't heard of it. That spring, she wrote about Martin Shkreli for a class, describing how manipulative he was to reporters, says her professor, Michael Shapiro. She She wrote, quote, quite candidly about how he had so successfully drawn her in. Shapiro worried that Martin Shkreli was stringing Smith along in order to make her ever more grateful for access. And, quote, once that happens, you're at a profound disadvantage as a reporter, Shapiro says. Christy Smith showed the essay that she wrote to Martin Shkreli, and after he read it, he told her, you should write the book, as in a biography and memoir of Martin. Smith's teacher Shapiro felt that the journalist-source relationship was already muddy and cautioned Christie against writing a book on someone, quote, so manipulative. Christie remembers her teacher Shapiro telling her, you're going to ruin your life. Maybe I was charmed by a master manipulator, Smith tells me, but she felt she could maintain control. 
She had wanted to write a book since she was a kid and decided to do it. So she found an agent and started drafting a proposal. In April 2017, Martin Shkreli invited Christy to a talk he was giving to a Princeton University student corporate finance club as fodder for the book. The club sent an SUV to pick them up. A dean shook their hands. Christy Smith felt a stir when Martin mentioned her. Quote, even if you find an honest reporter, I made friends with one. She's here right now, he told the audience. Afterward, Martin met with students at a brew pub. Quote, Martin's mobbed with kids, people talking to him, and he's really animated and excited, she remembers. When Martin went to the bathroom, Christy stepped in to entertain the students. It almost felt like I was a political wife, she says. A line snaked outside a sixth floor courtroom in Brooklyn's federal district court on the day on the first day of Martin Shkreli's trial in June 2017. Inside, spectators wedged onto hard benches, supporters of Shkreli to the left, journalists to the right. Even jury selection had been eventful, with potential jurors dismissed for saying that Martin was the face of corporate greed and that he had disrespected the Wu-Tang Clan. A professor accused Martin Shkreli of telling lies on top of lies on top of lies to investors as Martin made faces and took copious notes. After his defense lawyer argued he had good intentions and had ensured investors would ultimately make their money back, Martin Shkreli stood and patted him on the shoulder. Christy Smith wasn't covering the trial for Bloomberg anymore. She was on book leave, but she was there in the courtroom every day, sometimes sitting with Martin Shkreli's supporters, friends from the internet who'd rarely interacted with him in person until then. Once, they all ate lunch with Martin in the court cafeteria, and they also went out for drinks a couple of times after the proceedings adjourned. Christy went to court to find out, quote, who are his core people? Who should my sources be? And to hear backstory from Martin Shkreli on each day's testimony. Martin's antics didn't stop during the trial. He rolled his eyes at testimony. He told a room full of reporters that the prosecutors were junior varsity, causing the judge to bar him from talking publicly in or around the courthouse. He live-streamed at home after court, meowing at his cat and playing online chess. When Emily Saul, then a New York Post court reporter, was covering the trial, Martin, or one of his fans, created a fake Facebook page for her and boasted that he and Saul were in a relationship, Saul tells me. Okay, so sorry, the woman's name is Emily Saul. So basically, she's a New York Post reporter, and it was either Martin Shkreli or one of his fans made a Facebook page for Emily, and in that Facebook page where whomever was claiming to be Emily she was saying that she was in a relationship with Shkreli. So they're psychos. He also bought emilysaul.com for less than $12 and offered to sell it for thousands. Christy Smith's take on this was, he trolls because he's anxious. He really, really wants to be somebody. She began defending him publicly as she emphasized her access to him to publishers in an attempt to sell her book. During the trial, she visited his apartment and listened to the Wu-Tang album for research, she says. Afterward, Christy tweeted a photo of her holding the album, tagging a female journalist whom Martin Shkreli had harassed online and writing, quote, I don't think he would hurt a woman, even a journalist. Behold, me and the hashtag Wu-Tang album. Of her increasing involvement with Shkreli, she tells me now, 
These are incremental decisions where you're like slowly boiling yourself to death in the bathtub. In August 2017, Martin was convicted of three of eight counts. His sentencing hearing was scheduled for January. Martin bragged he'd do minimal, if any, prison time. He's just using you, Christy Smith's husband had told her early on after she had just gotten off a late night call with Martin. For what? She had replied. The argument escalated. Her husband felt she was risking her journalistic reputation by getting too sucked into this bad person, Christy Smith says. She felt like her husband was trying to micromanage her career. They scheduled a couple's counseling session. In September 2017, Christy Smith went to see a high school friend named Meredith Hartley on the West Coast, where she also conducted some book research. Hartley says, Christy Smith talked about Shkreli the whole weekend. I asked if Martin had ever made a move on her, and she said no, he'd always been very professional with her. Says Hartley, who was a bridesmaid at Smith's wedding, Hartley figured Christy just had a little crush. Later that month, Martin offers his online followers $5,000 for a strand of hair from Hillary Clinton because she had criticized his drug pricing. His lawyer said it was his usual online immaturity, satire, but prosecutors filed a motion asking that he be jailed until sentencing in response. By then, Christie's book leave was over, and she was back covering Martin for Bloomberg. She called him when she heard about the Hillary hair incident, and he just railed at me about freedom of speech, Smith says. But the judge jailed Martin. He walked into court with his lawyers and after was placed in a holding cell by U.S. Marshals. The minute she left the courtroom, Christy texted and emailed Martin's friends asking if he had his medications and arranging for someone to retrieve his cat. Then she filed a story from the press room. Ms. Smith's editors did not know about these actions, a Bloomberg News spokesperson told me. Had they been aware of them at the time, at a minimum, she would have been immediately taken off the beat. At home later that night, she couldn't sleep. Her Fitbit measured her resting heart rate at 10 beats higher for a week. I was still in denial about it, but this really hit me hard, she says of Martin's sudden jailing. Her physical reaction made it harder for her to ignore that something more than a journalist-source relationship might be developing. Yeah, you think? Smith pressed Shkreli to let her visit him in jail, and he agreed to a November date. In the visitor's room, unsure of what Martin liked... Christy spent $30 on vending machine snacks. When he was brought in, she hugged him, and they sat down to talk, struggling to hear each other over the other visitors. She microwaved a hamburger for him, and they talked about jail. When the hour-long visit ended, she hightailed it to the first counseling session with her husband. She had refused to move the appointment, and she wouldn't reschedule with Martin. She arrived at the hour-long 50 at the hour long couples counseling session with her husband, 52 minutes late. So basically, uh, she became known as individual one reporters came to know that, um, Martin had been emailing with somebody and, um, Anyway, she knew once she was named individual one that she could no longer cover Martin for Bloomberg. I knew I was part of the story at that point, she says. She alerted her editors and switched to covering different cases. But by then, book publishers had passed on her proposal, 
They wanted a caustic take on Martin Shkreli, which she refused to write. So she focused instead on selling movie rights to the book proposal and attending Martin's March 2018 sentencing for research. Zipping between supporters, journalists, and lawyers in the courtroom, Christy Smith says, it almost felt like I was giving a dinner party. Reading Shkreli's unremorseful correspondence with Christy Smith out loud, the judge sentenced him to seven years. Christy remembers Martin telling her that his lawyer opined that the emails between them had added two years to his sentence, which Christy says she still feels sick about to this day. With Martin in prison, Christy definitely felt like an advocate for him, she says. He sent her letters from other journalists he'd received, and she tweeted photos of them with derisive comments on the reporter's approaches. She challenged tweets disdainful of Martin and told supporters how to contact him. She said she did this partly to correct false information. He didn't increase the price on EpiPen, for instance, and he is 5'10", not 5'7". Smith wanted to tell a different narrative of Martin, that he'd built his companies from scratch, that he could summon data with a near photographic memory, that his villainous public persona was a mask. I wanted to get the rest of the story out there, Smith says, and I couldn't. In summer 2018, her editor summoned her to a conference room at Bloomberg headquarters. When she arrived, her editor and an HR rep sat waiting. They'd already warned her about her tweets regarding Shkreli, which she believed she'd complied with, though she continued tweeting about him. Now her superiors told her that her behavior was biased and unprofessional. Christy understood their concern and quit on the spot, hugging her editor on her way out of the building. At home, Smith's stress over Shkreli and now uncertain work future compounded her problems with her husband. I'm not going to say it was wrong for him to be concerned, she says, but the fights got too sharp and too frequent. They'd been considering divorcing since the start of the year and decided to move ahead. At the time of their separation, Christy had been visiting Martin for months. She would take a 6 a.m. prison van from Manhattan to see him when he moved to a New Jersey prison. When he was transferred to a prison in Pennsylvania, Smith, who used to get panic attacks while driving, got a license so she could still see him. They talked about Picasso, philosophy, about her dog and his cat, their conversation flowing like water. He told her she was one of the only people allowed to visit him and mused about running for office or starting a podcast when he got out. (laughs) That belief in himself, although it may seem delusional at times, it draws you in, she says. I I mean, I literally can't imagine hanging out with a guy who's like, I'm going to start a podcast and me being like, wow, I'm so drawn in. Uh, I don't know if everything he was saying to me was true, but maybe like 1% is, and that's awesome on its own. Oh my God, this woman had lost it. Like she really must have just been, that must have just been laying dormant there, like this need for excitement, this need for drama. Like she was probably holding in like, I'll marry this normal guy and we'll have a nice life. But but like this would have ended anyway if it wasn't, you know, for Martin, it would have been something else. So soon after quitting Bloomberg, Smith visited Martin again, fuming about the book industry's rejection of him and her. I was so angry at the establishment and people who wouldn't let me tell my story in the book. Publishers, Bloomberg, everybody, she says. Without her job or her marriage, that totally eroded any defenses I have left. Before she tampered down the sparks between her and Shkreli, but now she gave them air. She thought about when he teased her about being a nerd in an old photo he glimpsed and how she felt when he added her to his visitors list. A realization hit her. In the visitors room, I told Martin I loved him, Smith says, and he told me he loved me too. She asked him if she could kiss him and he said yes. 
The room smelled of chicken wings, she remembers. They couldn't touch beyond a chaste hug and kiss per prison rules and have never slept together. But the relationship moved forward through continued visits, phone calls, and emails. It's hard to think of a time when I felt happier, Smith says. At first, he's like, can I call you my girlfriend, she says. And this led very naturally into thinking about a future together. Soon, they were discussing their kids' names and prenups. After Smith worked about after Smith worried about being too old to have children when Martin got out of prison, he suggested she freeze her eggs, and so she did so last spring. Rita Cushenberry, who befriended Christy while visiting her own boyfriend in prison, observed Smith and Martin together there. He has the biggest, warmest smile ever, she says, and it was a beautiful thing to see how her eyes would just light up. When Smith told her family about the relationship, her brother Michael says he and their parents were stunned, but Christy did seem significantly happier. She can handle it, says Alyssa, a friend who met Christy in college. She fully knows what she's quote unquote getting into. Christy says she's considered the downsides of life with someone as infamous as Martin, and she's undeterred. I'm expecting it to be messy and difficult, she says. Each time she visited Martin, Christy became increasingly attuned to the indignities of life in prison. It gave me a tiny, tiny glimpse of the emotional trauma of incarceration. Well, she's not wrong about that. She sold the movie rights to her book proposal last year, although the book itself hasn't been bought. She now works remotely for a journalism startup where her boss is aware of her relationship with Martin. Because COVID safety protocols have ended most prison visits, Smith hasn't seen Martin since February 2020. In April, when he asked for early release because of coronavirus spread inside prisons, Christie wrote a letter, which he approved, describing their commitment and proposing that he live with her. When Martin found out about this article, though, he stopped communicating with her, this article that I'm reading you. He didn't want her telling her story, she says. Christy thinks it's because he's worried about fallout for her. While she waits to hear from him, she monitors Google alerts for his name, posts in support groups for loved ones of inmates, and because inmates must place outgoing calls and can't accept incoming ones, hopes one day he will call or reply to one of her emails. It's completely out of control, says her friend Alyssa, the one who is like, she can handle it. All she can do is sit around and wait and hope. Christy has only one photo of the two of them propped next to her bed. Doesn't he look human there? Christy says laughing. I tell Smith that I'm going to need to ask Martin for comment. Oh, maybe this will be a reason for him to reach out to me, she says. Later, when I relay Mr. Uh, Martin's statement, Mr. Shrek... Mr. Shrek Mr. Shkreli wishes Miss Smith the best of luck in her future endeavors. To Smith via video chat, she says, that's sweet, quietly, not convincingly. So basically, the woman who's reading the story I'm writing had to call Martin in prison for a uh, comment or get in touch with him somehow. And his comment was, uh, yeah, good luck to Christy. Bye-bye. Like, he's done. Like, dude is ghosting. Smith says, that's him saying, you're going to live your life and we're just not going to be together, that I'm going to maybe get my book and that our paths will fork. She tears up and I think about what her journalism professor said about everyone having an agenda. Watching Christy, I finally realized her motive for telling the story. She wants Martin and hopes putting their love on the record might at last give her some power in the relationship. He bounces between this delight in having a future life together and this fatalism about how it will never work, Christy says. 
It's definitely in the latter category now. Sitting in her basement apartment, her eyes wet, her voice quavering. She says she will continue to wait for him while he serves the remaining years of his sentence. I'm going to try, she says. I'll be here. So then an update in the New York Post came out where they were like, really, girl? And she was like, well, I've been basically celibate for two years, so I'm definitely open to dating other people. I'm not just going to sit around and wait. And she said, I'm here in the sense that I care for him. I love him. I'd be interested in seeing if we can make some kind of future work if that's what he wants to do. So she's still hooked on him, afraid to move on. I mean, I don't know what happened, but this is some crazy stuff, you know? Um, And I think, honestly, for someone like her, like she likes that he was unavailable. She likes that he's in prison. She may think she doesn't, but that kind of drama makes her feel alive and it's what she wants. She's not, I think she was uncomfortable being loved by her other husband, you know? And so it leads me to uh, talking about the, uh, the uh, avoidant attachment style, which is filed under insecure attachment style. People who develop an avoidant attachment style often have a dismissive attitude, shun intimacy and have difficulties reaching for others in times of need. But no one has to be a victim of their past. I'm reading this from verywellmind.com. A person who does not have a naturally secure attachment style can work on it. Obviously, going to therapy is how you do it. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, I think it's truly that sometimes people's, it's like having, you know, a gene for cancer that you've always had, but it's not going to show up until you're 50 or something like that. You know, it's like something was going on in her psyche where she wanted this kind of thing, you know, and it would be interesting to see. Um, if and when it's officially over and she realizes it, what her next relationship will look like, you know? And I I feel bad. It seems like she's had some kind of break from, uh, not reality, but, well, I guess reality. So that's my running commentary. Um, let's finish up the episode with listener emails. On the topics of love, my story about the dating app uh, seemed to be a big hit. I got a lot of comments on it on Twitter and Instagram. And by the way, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, It's at Jen Kirkman Podcast on Twitter and at Jen Kirkman Pod on Instagram. Obviously, go anywhere you listen to podcasts and give this podcast a five-star review. I also have a Patreon version of this podcast. I don't do it for my health. I do it for a living. So if you want to support me, I am not on tour in 2021. There is no comedy special coming out. So this is the best way to see my face in your living room four times a month. For five bucks a month, you get the video version and there is extra bonus content in each video version that the regular listeners don't get to hear. And every week you get a bonus episode. The more you pay, the more bonus episodes you get and you get unreleased stand-up and just so much fun. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Truly consider doing it. It really is how I make my living. So if you don't want me to uh, give it all up and go make quilts in Santa Fe, then keep me employed. Okay, great. So um, Jen, so here's the thing. So because people liked that dating story, I'm like, and not not one person was like, you're a loser for being on a dating app or even considering a relationship, even though currently no one likes you. And I realized, God, I've been really hard on myself. And you know, I have no shame being single in my 40s. I love my life. I've had a billion relationships. My God, if someone said to me, you can never have another one again, you've had enough. I'd be like, well, I had plenty. 
you know? And uh, I think, you know, as I am entering the next phase of my life where I'm kind of changing up the kind of work I want to do, I'm not sure exactly where I want to live. It's like, well, why wouldn't that also be in flux? It's just a part of life. It's really not a big deal. And it's like, you're comfortable talking about career stuff and life stuff. Why would this be different? Why is this so sacred? Are you harboring under the idea that like, if someone like fabulous and handsome and wealthy and successful hasn't picked you that you're a loser. And it's like, yeah, kind of, but no, that's not, and that's not even what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? It's just this weird shit that gets in our heads, women's heads, I think. And uh, so I'm like, all right, well, you know, if I'm going to be the 46 year old woman talking about, you know, what it's like being someone who is open to a relationship and seeing what's out there, then I can't even call it dating. I'm like, did you hear how I just described it? But you know, then then maybe that's my thing and that's my authentic self. And I've done pretty well in my career by being my authentic self before. And so people seem to be fine with it. You know, um, I think just because there's so much communication between listener and reader or whatever, you know, the readers of your tweets or the readers of your books or the listener to your podcast that I just don't want anyone to pity me or give me suggestions. I'm always guarding against that. And it's like, Jen, no one's doing that. People are relating to and they're laughing. So anyway, it's kind of like your reactions have kind of changed my view on that. Like it's actually funny to talk about. And I haven't been told that something was that funny in so long, like unanimously by so many people. So it's like, oh God, I could have been making you laugh this whole time, if only I'd been willing to um, look at, you know, look at one of those apps. So anyway, hi, Jen. Thanks for all the fun you brought us in 2020. The Patreon is more than worth it. I can relate to the tiredness, the blahness of post-holiday. For me this year, every emotion seems to be heightened. So I'm feeling extra tired and extra blah. But your story of writing that guy on the dating app was hilarious. Jeez, I needed that belly laugh. Just to share an embarrassing moment, when I was 12, I played on a soccer team and hated it. One day I was sick and didn't go to practice. I was expecting a call from my mom and I don't know why I did this, but when the phone rang, I picked it up and instead of saying something like, hello, or is that you, mom? I answered the phone, mommy? Keep in mind, I was 12 and hadn't called my mom mommy since I was at least eight. The worst part is that it wasn't my mom. It was my soccer coach. Ugh. He sort of paused and then said, uh, no, this is coach. Is this Kevin? And I was mortified. He just wondered why I wasn't at practice or something. Anyway, I just never went back because I was too embarrassed. All for the best next year, Jen. Looking forward to your Anxiety Bites podcast. Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, as the as of this taping, I don't know when that new podcast begins, but of course I will be bothering you guys to listen to it as well. Hey, Jen, your dating app story was the funniest thing I've heard in a long time. Actually reminded me of something that happened to me a couple years ago that my coworkers still like to remind me of. Anyways, it had been a really long week at my job. I had to pull a lot of overtime that week and was just done with it. I finally left work and when I got home, I just fell into bed and I was out. I woke up later, saw my alarm clock, and it said seven. Oh, crap. I thought and super hurried, got ready, and left for work. At the time, I had to be at work at 8 a.m. I ended up getting to work at 8, figuring I just made it. I barely saw any cars there, but I just figured there must have been an accident or something. I walk in, and there's only a couple people there. They were all, huh? What are you doing here? It's 8 at night. I just stood there with the dumbest look until it hit me. I went out so quick that when I woke up, I literally thought it was the next morning, but it was really only a few hours later. Whoops, Jeff. Jen, the story about you liking yourself on the dating app had me LOLing. I could see what was happening and I was like, oh God, no, not this. It's so stupid and endearing. 
also relatable because I think, damn, my profile is so good. Why isn't everyone liking these answers? Ha ha ha, Nikki. Um, this is a good one. This is a gossipy one. So I don't know if you guys are aware of Brendan Schaub. He used to do the podcast, The Fighter and the Kid with Brian Callen. Brian Callen, accused rapist. Brendan Schaub um, was the one who got COVID by traveling with Brian. They hang out with Joe Rogan and they're all like, COVID's not real. Well, he got it. He was like mostly fine, though. Like he didn't, you know, have to go to a hospital or anything. But then he started riding his bike like three days into having COVID and being completely contagious. And he was riding his bike around LA and going hiking without a mask and taking photos of it. And he's a big asshole. And these guys are MMA fighters that became comedians or Brendan is at least. And it's the bane of my existence, these guys in comedy, and I hate them. So this is an email from Garrett, who calls himself another gay millennial fan. Jen, <clears throat> after listening to your fired up about Joe Rogan and Dave Chappelle on Patreon, I knew I couldn't hold this in anymore. See, guys, I often talk shit on Patreon, like real, real gossip. So you might want to join it. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. I work at a coffee shop in Pasadena, and last week I saw a man at the register with his nose out of his mask. I asked him to cover his nose, and he did this thing a lot of guys do where they don't look at me, but they just pluck the mask up with a sigh like they can't believe I asked them that. And I was like, fine, just cover your dang nose, please. One of my coworkers is into MMA and was talking about how some guy who was a fighter but now has a podcast was in the store, but I didn't know who it was. A few minutes later, after his wife and he got their drinks, he took his entire mask off in the middle of the cafe to take a drink. I immediately said, sir, you can't take your mask off in here. And he shouted back, we're leaving. I gestured to the store and said, okay, thank you. He called me Fauci and I told him, you don't have to come here, but he didn't hear me. So I just said, thank you again and pointed to the door. After he left, I wanted to throw up because he was the MMA guy and he was like a foot taller than me and I'm 6'1 and I'm just glad he didn't beat the crap out of me. But my coworker said, he's Brendan Schaub, some MMA fighter turned comedian podcaster who's BFFs with Joe Rogan. Of course. Sorry for the rant. Love the show. I just can't believe these people. Another gay millennial fan. Garrett. Um, this is one other COVIDed complaint from Caitlin Jen. I loved your Instagram post about how frustrating it is when people are like, I did everything right and still got COVID. And then they do not give complete details about what preceded their discovery. I read like 10 articles about folks who were stumped about how they got it when they were, quote, being so careful and then proceeded to obsessively wonder what was the exact detailed activity log of their life and where can I find it? And how good are they really at accurately evaluating their own true vigilance? For example, I see a lot of people who are like, went to a socially distanced wedding and then the photo is just their face pressed against the face of a bride and and I'm like, but do you know what socially distanced means? So I wonder if folks are just bad at judging their own carefulness. I also wonder if folks have varying levels of remembering what they did the past couple of weeks. I remember that the first episode of Serial is all about how no one seems to be able to accurately recall what they did the week before. I think it's also upsetting that there is such a giant percentage of folks who don't know how they got it. Because then I wonder, is there something I'm doing that seems innocuous, like just staying inside my room, that is somehow super dangerous and I just don't know it? 
I strongly believe it is a combo of my intolerance for uncertainty, classic anxiety, and also the deep frustration of a logical mind. I just wanted you to know that you are not alone, and I hope that your dentist appointment went well. I had a temp crown put on right before the pandemic, and it lasted for like eight months, and then it finally popped off, so I had to go in and get my permanent crown, and it was scary but everything turned out totally okay. Enjoying your podcast and really looking forward to your new anxiety podcast. Lots of love and solidarity, Caitlin. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, well, as you can see, the dentist went okay. We will see. I will get that test soon. Everybody, thank you for listening. I love you all. Uh, ways to support me are join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. You can buy my album, Just Keep Living, which you can watch on Netflix, but the audio version has 20 minutes extra called Behind the Joke, where I explain how I came up with my material on that album. So that might be of interest to you. I will put the link in the show notes. I'll put the link for the Patreon in the show notes. If you want to buy one of my relaxation classes where I teach you some techniques about breathing and muscle relaxation, I will put the link for the class in the show notes. And I think that's about it. Please tell your friends, subscribe to the podcast. When you're listening to it, take pictures of it and tag me on Twitter at Jen Kirkman or my Instagram at Jen Kirkman. You don't even have to tag my podcast accounts. Just help me get the word out. I always love reposting what you guys write because, you know, it's less, it's more interesting. And also all of the merchandise in my shop 100% of the proceeds that I get to keep are going to food banks all over America. So I will put again the link to my merchandise store in the show notes and you can buy things like masks and notebooks and phone cases and pillows and mugs and tote bags and sweatshirts and hoodies and onesies and t-shirts and tanks and pins and stickers. So there you go. Thank you all. I will see you again. Well, I'll see you, Patreon people. You guys, you'll just hear me again until next week. Have fun. 